to the Tenuous Links podcast, home of the Golf Barons. Offering bloviated opinions on all things golf, discussing the game's biggest problems and some solutions to them as loosely as possible. Come add some swagger to your swing. Hello, Barons. Now, not much has changed since we last spoke, other than a Netflix show, live, rollback, uh, Ryder Cup issues, John Rahm going on a tear, Rory nailing himself to a cross next to Brandle, a little bit Life of Brian-like. And then Jay said yes to Yasser and flipped everything on its head. And there's no better person to discuss this with than our very special guest and inside man, John from Chicago. <laughs> Welcome, John Craig from Chicago. How are you going? Good evening, Philip. It's been way too long and uh, one on occasion to get back together again. And, and I thought the timing was perfect to invite you back um, for a comeback pod as it is, not an emergency pod, John, um, because it was almost 12 months ago where you had dinner with some gentlemen having just left a meeting uh, making the statement that fix it, whatever it takes, fix it when it came to live in the PJ Tour. Well done. It's turned out to be rather prophetic, hasn't it? it, 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 it so what's, why, what's going on? And if ever there was a, as you pointed out in a previous chat, a Donald Rumsfeld moment of we have known knowns, we have the known unknowns, we have the unknown knowns, and we have the unknown unknowns. And if we were, Fair run description. A, if we were to run a percentage over that, the known knowns are like 0.2%. <laughs> the known unknowns are about 80% <laughs> and the unknown unknowns are, are surely going to come out from under a rock and, and fill in the, the last 20.8 or whatever it is. But, yeah, it's incredible, incredible. And, you know, so, I mean, we could just take this thing in so many different directions because there are so many amazing – the fact that this deal could get done with the secrecy that it's occurred within such a small group of people – you know, this this couldn't happen in a normal corporate world. I mean, just the due diligence and the board approval and, I mean, I have not, uh, and over here in the States, the last 36 hours consuming golf media has just been, I mean, it's insane. I mean, every professional speculator, and I should I should use that word in inverted commas, every yeah. professional speculator I've got 900 different views of what this actually means. And the bottom line is no one has any idea at this point in time. And I'm not even sure that the five people at the table really know exactly how this... I mean, there's going to have to be some serious negotiation and give and take to create something that can... I mean, there are still some stakeholders to please. Andy Johnson made a really good point today on Shotgun Start. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, the players can walk away from this. I mean, they're not... The PJ Tour is full of free freelance contractors. I mean, if half of them walk away, if Rory gets the shits because he doesn't get fairly compensated, we'll get into the detail of that, but it's like, what <laughs> angle do you want to take? Because this could be a seven-hour podcast with just the two of us. But yeah, no, that's my, my, my word of the day is professional speculator. Um, 
And I'd like to think that we get into the speculative detail as opposed to the detail, John, because at no stage am I expecting fact to come out of this unless it is a quote from a player or from Jay. But otherwise, the whole thing is speculative. So let me start with a question for you. Can we actually put that official warning up to listeners? (laughs) This is speculation. We don't profess to know here. And uh, I don't want to underplay the point, but I... I worked the phones hard today with NBC, Golf Channel, two player agents I'm very close with that manage live players. I'm telling you, no one knows. No one knows what exactly and how this is going to play out. So we can speculate with free reign. Um, and it's a movable fix, but at no, under no circumstances is this the proverbial emergency podcast, which I saw everyone releasing an emergency podcast, because there's no emergency. No, this is it, the speculators. This is, I keep coming back to it, we are going to use that word often, <laughs> the speculation podcast. So let me ask you this, because terminology apparently has become quite important in terms of even Rory's press conference about, um, I'd rather have them as friends than enemies. So has sports washing become sports laundering, whereby we're no longer just washing it, we're actually managing it through to we're pressing it and we're presenting it very differently. So this whole fallacy that is sports washing, as pointed out in Freakonomics, I think sports laundering now, I think there's a bit more detail than just purely a wash. There's a rinse and an iron. It's the whole nine yards. I mean... Just think structurally, you're going to have the new entity sitting above and on top of uh, an entity, the DP Tour. We know the PGA Tour as it currently stands, which happens to be a non-profit organisation and income derived from that organisation will wash up through into the profit organisation. So how's that discussion going to go about salaries, expenses, overhead, and I had one uh, extremely good source. One of the reasonable theories as to what brought the PGA Tour to the table here, and let's one thing that I reasonably, I know with some certainty is, it was the PGA Tour that came to the table here to do a deal. And they needed to do a deal because my understanding is that within the discovery uh, stage of the major litigation on the antitrust stuff, it has been pointed out to the tour that they are in serious trouble and will not win this suit. So if I can take that on face value, if we take it as what we know, I mean, uh, the 601CE slash F corporation that the PGA Tour is, don't quote me on that, but it's something yes. ridiculous. It is America. We do love a label here. Um, You know, a standard uh, not-profit organisation will contribute or flow through about 75% of its income to its charitable endeavours. It's been reported the PGA Tour, the flip side of that, that less than 20% of revenue actually finds its way to the charities from the non-profit organisation. So I'm sure if you took a little peek under the, the trunk... We are here in Chicago under the bonnet. Uh, you know, there's some stuff there that the tour just, and, and there is absolutely no doubt that the tour strong handed sponsors, 
players when the live thing came about in an antitrust manner that will that would have been revealed. I mean, that's that is the educated uh, explanation as to how this has come about in secret, how it come, has come about so quickly, and because neither party had to do a deal. Yep. Right. Right. I mean, for this for this to happen, one of the parties had to do the deal. Otherwise, it would never have happened because they would have just stood headstrong. And anyone who thinks for a second this deals about the goodness of professional golf, go and pour yourself a chardonnay, <laughs> skull the first one, and then have a sip on the second because this is nothing about money. Simple, cold, hard money for a whole bunch of different interested shareholders, stakeholders, I should say. Um, and there was a really nice quote, um, or, or quite, uh, uh, which I won't misquote, I'll try not to, but from Lawrence Donegan um, that he said in a tweet that was part of something he wrote for the McKellar Journal. And this was about Jimmy Dunn, this peacemaker, which we'll, we'll touch on a few of the players in a minute because I think this is all fascinating. And I'm trying to look at this from an Australian, an Asian global scale. But mm. Rory has long moved in those circles where the Jimmy Dunns of the world move. But this is his first lesson in how these guys really operate. They're vicious sociopathic bastards who will buy a good guy like Rory to make uh, who sorry bury a good guy like Rory to make a buck. Um, it, it's a really nice summary, exactly what you're saying. Of don't think this is for the greater good. There's no, a lot they, of people who don't do greater good. No, you can try and spin this as much as you like, but this is simply about recovery for Jay Monaghan. Personally, I mean, there, there I can't think. And I'm a, a bit of a, a study of corporate life and entities and stories and history. And I can't think of an about face where a CEO has survived with a uh, just, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's absurd. It's almost unimaginable that you can take the CEO's rhetoric or narrative for the last year. Oh, we're all good. I mean, you talk about Python-esque and it only being a flesh wound. I mean, it's in, it's 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 so funny. You can you can only laugh, and then he stands up in his presser and cites, "Well, any decision or any comment I had to make at the time was only based on the information that I had in front of me." I mean, come on, Leighton, come on. I mean, that's just pathetic. So, so John, did he get stitched a little bit? Sorry, I'm not going to defend Jay at all, but this is the Muppet who should have remained independent. When Jim Nance gave him the heartfelt 9-11 lead-in, was that a Dorothy Dixer at the Canadian Open, the RBC last year, or whereby they'd actually said, you know, it's time to play this card because we're not winning the other one? And then, or did Jay just couldn't help himself and he got sucked in and this is where we are now? Uh, there is absolutely no doubt that the whole narrative has been 100% orchestrated, that the PGA Tours PR machine bought in the victims of 9-11. Like, none of that has come about by accident. I mean, that's been a deliberate... They couldn't fight the money. They were losing the battle. Um, and when I say losing the battle, they were, they were losing... They are under threat because what's also become clear is that the PGA Tour could not sustain the financial model of fighting Liv. Yep. 
and I think that's been generally reported that you know they could throw money at it for a little while, but it was not sustainable through these elevated events without dramatically increasing income, which hasn't happened. And TV ratings here in the US are poor. So that revenue over time, you've got, you know, we're digressing here a little bit, but the linkage between NBC's deal and the PGA Tour with uh, official world golf ranking and the quality of fields, like it's just such an entwined web of self-interest and, you know, everyone's got dirty hands this morning. Some dirtier than others. Um, and and the poor the poor players that stay, you know, the Justin Thomases of this world, they've got to be waking up saying, Yeah, being a good guy and he might not be a good guy, by the way, but he I'm sure he thinks he is. Um, being a good guy just doesn't pay, does it? Isn't that the lesson? So there's there's that point of so we'll deal with Rory. I'll, I'll deal with Rory first. So Rory's held a position and he's been unwavered in his position and he's getting caned and laughed at from, to your point, you know, there's what I'll call the live zealots who are, I told you, I told you so. But if, if the biggest problem that Rory created for himself was, to quote Malcolm X, I've got more respect for a man who lets me know where he stands even if he's wrong and someone who comes up like an angel is nothing but a devil. Rory hasn't wavered. And to many respects, Brandle hasn't wavered and Eamon Lynch hasn't wavered. And there's got to be, you, you have to respect the fact that they've held firm, even including today with, with Rory in the, the press conference saying they're not just going to be welcome back. Well, and I still hate Liv. I hate Liv and yeah, I still hate Liv. Um, now, I'm, I'm sure that wasn't scripted. And, uh, I mean, what a pointless expression. Because at no, the end no, of the, the day... Point- Liv's not going away. It might not be reborn in a different form or a different name, or it may not. It might continue to be exactly as it is. I mean, I don't think these guys are going to walk away from the $2 billion that they've currently sunk. And without the teams thing, there's no revenue way back. So can you ask the question, is the Crown Prince simply happy to say it's cost me $2 billion to have a seat at the table with corporate America and I'm happy just to write that off? So that's one of the great big questions that's been debated here in the US. Is that a price that he's willing to pay because he now does have, because you've got to remember that you know through the PGA Tour, you literally have, and now him being anointed chairman of the new company, he has entree to the absolute top echelons of corporate America. Like free open door, open pass. I mean, you run through the major PGA Tour sponsors, et cetera, et cetera. Um, You know, Jay's contact book is pretty impressive. So the Prince has now got that in his back pocket. Was that worth $2 billion? Or does he want to still get a little bit of that back? So to me, that's one of the known knowns of that question has to be asked, and we're going to know in the next three or four months when they reveal a schedule for next year as to just how much was the Prince prepared to write off. And Norman's declared that Liv, as of today, Norman's declared that Liv is here to stay, that, that they're unwavering, that, that 
live continues ahead. They're planning for starting to plan for 2025. They're planning for 24. From a selfish point of view, we're looking at Adelaide going. Adelaide's gone nuts. Uh, live Adelaide went nuts. Um, the public rounds played. I mean, they, they scoffed at grow the game. The public rounds played in Adelaide in the month following live have been the highest they've ever been outside of when people were allowed to go back outside their houses because of COVID. So, I mean, we can, we can only hope that some of the great things about live are maintained and supported by the new ecosystem because there's no doubt internationally uh, it's been a great windfall for, for global golf and it's still very hard for Americans to think outside of North America. But, you know, that has been a great thing. I mean, I read today the, uh, the shark has a new nickname, the Great White Puppet, um, because it did not look good that he was unaware of this and the prince called him 20 minutes prior. Um, I read another article today saying at the end of the day, what's Greg's going to say? I mean, he doesn't even, he would not be aware of what's happening with Live Next Year. So, of course, he's going to talk about business as usual. And I hope there is that. I mean, we can only hope what comes out of this is a restricted schedule in the US that creates freedom for 10 or 12 great international events spread around the world that become part of whether that's additive to the PGA Tour, whether that's the live team involvement side of things. These are the things that we just don't know, but we we hope like hell as a, as a lover and supporter of worldwide professional golf, that something global comes out of this. And one would suspect that that's a good chance given that the chairman of this new entity will have a, a, a global focus, you would have to think, if, not, if at least not through the Middle East. Do we think that's realistic, though? And I know like we're projecting forward because there's, there's about 85 other points I'd like to go over first. But do we think it's realistic that players who've said, I'm not going there unless you're going to pay me, for example, Australia, yeah, I'll come down to Australia. I'd love to defend my title. It's two million, but legacy and history and heritage, you know, is really important to me. And as is two million, um, do we really think that they're going to, to travel or do you think that the golf hemisphere continues to be divided from the other hemisphere? The only way that that is ever going to happen is if they are forced to do it. They are not yeah. going to do that willingly. But if part of the deal is that live coexists with the PGA Tour in some form of carved off and the teams thing, because the teams thing, I say it again, it's the key to, to revenue. So if that's important, and you also must remember, and again, my source here is a, a player agent for one of the live players, you know, they were promised, you know, it wasn't just the cash up front, it was the long-term net present value of the investment and ownership in the franchise and a pathway to some sort of career to transition from playing because a lot of these guys don't want to play into their 50s. I mean, some guys do, they just love it. There's nothing else. They love the I love the life. Others don't want to do that. So, you know, will will the new entity just pull the rug under that? Let's hope not. Let's hope that that continues and let's hope that that forces then some form of attractive structure 
that makes these guys jump on a plane. And, you know, there's 10 international events that are just become part and parcel, just like tennis that, you know, I'm sure the, uh, I'm sure the tennis players don't necessarily love the travel down to Australia, but you know, you got to do it. You're not forced to do it, but you have to do it if you want to be taken seriously. And ultimately that's the culture that's got to be created. Now, initially it might require some arm twisting and some cash, but if you can create that environment and system, who knows in t- 10 years' time. Yes, and, and Liv created that. And I think that the key thing within that is that travelling internationally to a PGA Tour player, we're talking beyond Mexico, um, you know, or in Canada. Like they are, you need a passport to get into both. So congratulations. But we're talking about getting on a plane and things that take you beyond their comfort zone. So I just want to go into a couple of, of – um, we're going to go through some players, some executives, and not necessarily winners or losers, plus minuses, however we want to call it, but a little bit of – so those who went, we'll just we'll just call it, yeah, winners and losers, those who went. So Cam, Phil Brooks, DJ Sergio. Have you seen some uh, of the – They had a good last 24 hours. Have you seen some of the GIFs um, depicting Cam Smith driving back into TPC Sawgrass? Um, and there's, there's a couple of others floating around that are magnificent. You've got to think that they're not going to have to give the money back. They've got the money in their pockets. They're contracted. You know, Liv can't walk away from those contracts. If Liv doesn't exist moving forward, these play- by default these players then have to be provided a path back to the PGA Tour or else they have an enormous case against Liv. And while Rory says it's not a merger, it's a freaking merger of the ultimate operating entity that sits over the day-to-day operating entity, be it the DP, the European Tour or the US Tour or the Global Tour or the Live Tour or whatever you want to call the, that side of stuff. So, you know, those guys must be just absolutely feeling unbelievably vindicated and... You know, if you want to talk about Lefty, you know, he said it, he has maintained a consistent stance that the PGA Tour was a dysfunctional organisation. It needed to be shaken up. It needed a... They wouldn't, you know, poor old Andy Gardner, I'm sure we'll get to him at one stage, but he must be sitting at home saying, well, fucking what did I do wrong? <laughs> you know? Yeah. What did I do wrong? You know, this could have been done with just so much more uh, maturity, less pain, success, would have gained traction faster. Uh, it could have been all win-win rather than that there, there's going to be losers. I mean, that you know, you've quoted four players on the upside. I mean, let's talk about the PGA Tour loyalists. How are they going to square those guys up? And that's so. That is the flip side. It's the it's not only the ones that were loyal, the ones who just said, "Don't even make me an offer. I'm not coming," versus the ones who went down the track and said, "By the way, do you know any of them?" (laughs) Because I, it's a speculative job. My 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 intel is that there weren't many that said, "Don't even make me an offer." There's no offer. I won't come. (laughs) You're talking about a very select group there. Um, okay, so Adam Hadwin at no stage was fielding offers from Liv, so That's if we right. concede that, 
But then we say on the on the other side is is those who stayed, and so part of this is that, as Rory said, we need to make them whole. Now, now if we deal with Rory and Tiger, and and Tiger, who so far has been silent, but I'm sure he's just trying to digest it because he, what's the point in speaking like us when you don't have all the information? It probably sets him apart from us again. But they've got this they've got this TGL and Tomorrow Sports, and this is the fascinating thing for me with Rory. If we just deal with Rory first, stayed loyal, held his line, but took an opportunity with Tiger and his backers to invent this indoor golf league. Um, so Rory's payoff may well not be a, you stayed loyal, here it is. But at some stage it'll be Piff going, if Liv remains active and we want a team event on golf courses that remains active and we can't keep asking these guys to play more golf. I really like tomorrow sports. Does it, do they make it vanish and therefore Tiger and Rory just get another billion-dollar check? There's, there's 20 of these hypotheticals. I yeah. mean, you also got to ask the question, how relevant is Tiger in all of this? He does, he's not a player anymore. 22. <laughs> so, so if we just deal with Rory. <laughs> if we just deal with Rory, well, you know, Rory's presser today in Canada was just kind of quite hard to fathom, you know, at a time when he really needed to just shut his mouth to say, I actually don't know. So, uh, you know, how are you going to put these guys back in the room together? How are you going to put, you know, there'll be some spice. Like if we didn't have animosity before, which, again, my intel is that uh, if you go to the Masters, and you go to the PGA, the player groups, by and large, are all good. They're not anymore. Uh, I don't know where you saw the reports of uh, Grayson Murray's and Rory's interaction at the player meeting yesterday. I did. But there was the post-meeting report as well. Yeah, but, you know, that's that's what we're talking about now. The bottom... yeah. Because remember, the PGA Tour, in theory, is a member organisation not in existence to maximise revenue for the top 20 players in the world, but to represent all of those card-carrying members. And it has just absolutely shafted players 70 to 200. But by the same token, John, it must be in the blood because the PGA of Australia have done a pretty good job of ignoring... Um, live players despite standing for all tournament playing professionals around the world unless you play for live. So maybe it's just in the water. Maybe it is. And, um, you know, can we bring up the Victorian government and, you know, who staunchly stood loyal with the PGA Tour now, whereas they could have hosted a live event and now been in the front seat for with no animal, you know, it's all good. You know? And and full credit, John, to I know this is a very Australian thing, but to Peter Malinowskis, who's the, the Premier of South Australia, to actually put his hand up and say, I'm keen, I'll get involved, I'll engage. It's life. We deal with we deal with Saudi money every day, we deal with oil every day, versus the righteous I oh, know I'm very I'm very I'm a PGA guy who's now a PIF guy who I mean it, so where are we? So who is the devil, John? And apparently 
if Liv is not Piff, Roy needed to tell Brandy that Liv and Piff weren't the same thing. Who, so who is the devil? We need a devil. What a great question. Is there a devil? Question. Who's the devil? You know who the devil is? The devil is the man Jeanette. that wins. And he's currently chairman of World Professional Golf. And anyone who... All of those that took these moral positions, and, I, and I'm not trying to advocate an amoral position here, but in a commercial environment, unfortunately, and rightly or wrongly, ultimately the moral position will get steamrolled by rolls of cash if the rolls of cash are sufficient. And that's just what's happened here. Let's not try and trick this any way. This is just a case of cash wins. And the guy with the most cash is sitting atop the tree. And as Phil said, he is the scary motherfucker that... Beep. <laughs> I was quoting Phil Mickelson there, journalistic integrity. Um, I mean, that's the guy now running world professional golf. But we've also got to keep it real. It's just professional golf. It's a whole bunch of spoiled yeah. kids running out making too much money. None of it matters. We're all going out on Saturday to play in our members' round or do what we do or go out with our mates to the local muni and, uh, or public course down in Australia. Like So we can also get a little carried away with this. But if we, if we take it for face value, the guy with the most money won. Well, that's a surprise. And this is where I love this this role, and, and I don't know anything, and I'm not even going to dive into this person, who is Jimmy Dunn, and there's a lot of been said about Jimmy Dunn, and Michael Bamberger wrote a nice piece on, on Jimmy Dunn, if anyone's interested. But Jimmy Dunn, quote, from that piece, I wouldn't want to work for Greg Norman. I like people who are absolutely credible, more worried about fact than sizzle, and are reliable. Followed by Jay Monaghan, any time I said anything, I said it with the information I had in the moment. And they were two of the five people sitting around the table. Yeah. I mean, people say silly things sometimes. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I touched on it earlier. I think Jay Monaghan's, uh, what do they say? He must have a photo of someone with a pig. Um, it's just incredible. Like you just can't. He has, uh, as the the lead figure of this organisation, his credibility is zero. You, he cannot be taken at his word for anything, ever. So, you know, how is that tenable? And I also find it a little amazing, and I was talking with a senior exec at NBC today who made the point that, I mean, at the end of the day, if Jay had wanted to do the right thing for professional golf, what would have happened yesterday they would have made this announcement and Jay would have said, look, given where we're now heading, given my historic positions, yeah. it's best that I now move on and the new commissioner of the PGA Tour is X. That's what should have happened. And the heat from this debate would have really cooled down and they would have had some chance of actually creating a, a commercial argument to say, you know, this is okay, but I, I just I can't believe that he thinks his position's tenable. And I had I, I got a sorry sidebar. I had the best warm up tonight for this podcast. 
just purely by coincidence, Rachel and I have been watching Secession and tonight was the final episode of Secession and, like, the the ridiculous parallels of people and their people and their egos. Sorry, let's get back on track to the pod. Okay. So we've got so we've we've dismissed so we we dealt with the players who stayed and the players who went. Uh, and we've dealt with Rory a little bit of the relevance of Tiger and and 911J as he's now called integrity. Where's Big Keith? I think Big Keith actually is now coming out a winner. <laughs> Go on. He's done the full circle. He's gone from being pilloried as marginalising his tour as nothing but a feeder tour to now potentially having a seat at the table, at the big table. Blue glasses, John. Mm, Yeah. They're the answer. Or dumb luck, (laughs) perhaps. (laughs) But, yeah, you've got to think that the European tour will – I mean, there's no doubt there's going to be more global golf or none of – I go back to my very first point. If the prince is prepared to write off his two bill and say that was just the cost of getting my entree into the US uh, top echelon of business, then they're all screwed. All of the live people, except for the players and their contracts, and, you know, they are the winners. I mean, at the end of the day, contracts with uh, very rich people uh hold a lot of sway. So, so Norman, I'm jumping around, because one of the, the winners, is, so is Norman a winner out of this? Is GWS.com, is just a man walking his dog a winner? Is he a break-evener? Because he's being, as you say, he's being pilloried as the as kind of Muppet Boy loser. Once again, Norman, you know, manages to hit the front of a green and spin it back and then or block one right into the, into the crowd, pull one left into the water, not that that still hurts. Well, as a master speculator, one could opine that at the end of the day, Greg's done exactly what Greg was employed and was needed to do, which was be a figurehead that was going to get a lot of publicity, draw a lot of eyeballs to live through his stuff. He got the players on board. They got started. But Greg's run his usefulness. But perhaps this was... This is... That was his role. And at the end of the day, I'll tell you one thing, anything I know about Norman and his business entities, Norman is going to walk away handsomely rewarded. And I think at the end of the day, it's not unreasonable for him to mount the argument to say, yeah, guys, I, I, I was part of the catalyst to the change that needed to happen. And at the end of the day, that was my number one argument. I happen to have $100 million in my back pocket to say thanks, so I'm not walking away too badly. So I see Norman coming away as a winner. I mean, people will try and knock him down because they've tried to knock Norman down, and, you know, I'm not a great one in Norman's camp either, but I think if you just look at it purely clinically, he was a catalyst to this change. I'm sure he's going to get paid very handsomely you know, his exit won't come cheap if if the prince wants to say, Greg, it's been great, but it's time it's time to hand the baton over. Greg will say, no problems, Prince, just here's the check. Um so I think Norman at the end of the day played his role. So this is your point from last year, John. Is that I tell you what, Jay, how about you take a hike, 
Sharky takes a hike and we all just get on and play together for oil. Um, that was the information that I was given and hmm. it's incredible that Jay has, well, he's lasted this long, but that's not to say that, you know, I think potentially the players might get him. Um, and I think the heat and the pressure and the sustained negative publicity, if the figurehead of your organisation, every time he stands up, which is very rare actually because he uses his players as his mouthpiece because, yep. you know, the other general commentary in this market is that it's incredulous that a CEO can be so vanilla and hidden when he needed to be the champion through this difficult period, yet he's still in his role. Um but the, I'll call it the underclass of social media and podcast here. They want him on a stake. Like, it's been brutal. Shotgun start, um, absolutely lambasted Monaghan in the last 24 hours. And, and you can't sustain that ongoing, constant PR coming from a whole bunch of different media. Potentially. So let's speak to media. So As I in said, my f- mind... Photos and pigs. It's, you know. That's right. It's like Mickey Pearson. It's like coach uh, for anyone who's watched The Gentleman. But um, so as a clear winner to me from a media point of view, the, the guy that had every reason to have angst but continued to be balanced, um, probably because it's his profession, was Ellen Shipnick. No doubt. Who who no, just yeah. continued to report both sides completely independently. Probably the only freaking trained journalist among the whole lot of them. Uh, and that's a slightly flippant comment, but I think you make a fantastic point. I mean, he he ultimately, if they write a history of all of this, and I'm sure they will, I mean, he has been the reasonable voice of both sides. He was one of the first guys that actually gave Liv a reasonable hearing he went to the events um you know he's and he continues to this day and and their podcast yesterday was if it, people once they've listened to this one uh go and give it a, a fire pit collective a listen because he's a very balanced voice strong opinions but they're not biased opinions so there's nothing wrong with having an opinion yeah, it's yeah. just if your opinion is so one-sided that at the end of the day you become a uh, a town crier. So, totally yeah. agree. I think Shipnuck is, uh, can, you know, from the... And again, he was pilloried when the Phil book came out. And it's proven that he's actually played a pretty pivotal role in being one of the few voices uh, to actually give a fair and reasonable opinion of what's actually occurring in professional golf. And his book will be a cracker. Uh, I think Live and Let Die or something, I'm fairly sure it was called that. He's, he obviously is needing to rewrite, as he pointed out the other day, rewrite the, or yesterday, rewrite the last chapter potentially. Um, but I think he's been great. So I want to I now go across to the ones who aren't coming out of this so well. Mm. Uh, and I'm going to start with uh, Denial Porter, sorry, Kyle Porter, um, that everyone got played, that Phil, as of today, Phil ran towards the Saudis, whereas the Saudis ran towards the tour. Um, Has anyone exposed their potential employment situation any more than Denial Porter? 
other than no laying up and foreplay, of course. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I've been very... <laughs> How many listeners have you got in America? Uh, you know, America is a very complex place and it is full of people, full of shit. And <laughs> the, the media is no exception here. And there are just... The media is, is just full of blatantly biased people here, not just in golf. But it's not the job of the media to take sides. You know, come back yeah. to Shipnote. That's why he can hold his head high, that he's done what a true journalist should do, is report, interpret, opine where required, but opine based on reasonable information and, and, and providing a balanced point of view. But, you know, a whole bunch of these other people. I mean, how's Brandles will jump from... Cole Porter to Brandle because we have to get to Brandle. Of course we do. Like, how does he appear on? Like, where is his role next year? If if Liv becomes part of the formal system, how can Brandle have any role in that? Of providing balanced expert commentary on something that he has simply taken a and and it's his right to do so but you can't have your cake and eat it too yeah so you know that becomes a i I don't know how that's tenable but at least he had a position and he was unwavering that position as was so i'm lynch but there's a consequence Um, isn't there a consequence to taking that position Yes, there is, and there needs to be, and I think that will come out. I've got no doubt that'll come out because they just can't. I can't represent and commentate on a sport that I openly object to. In which case, they're going to need to do a little bit of recruiting, and I think Brad Faxon, um, in that interaction at the PGA with Brandle, showed that um, maybe he's next up by being able to say, "Well, the Ryder Cup is USA versus Europe," um, because we've got Eamon Lynch, who who I understand his objection. So no issue. Uh, Jim Nance and Rich Lerner then got caught in the whole anti, you know, bristling this live players, live players. Um, I, I don't know how any of them can now represent golf, represent the PGA Tour. Yeah, I mean, talking to a, a senior golf channel guy today, they have absolutely no idea how this is going to play out. So, you know, that that comes down to, well, what actually, well, we're contracted to cover PGA Tour for the next eight years, I think it is. Yep. Where's, if, if, if Liv come in and Liv are a part of, like the DP Tour and the PGA Tour and Liv events, well, where do the broadcast rights for that sit? Uh, you know, it, it. You know, they were precluded from even considering it because of uh, the adversarial nature previously. You know, how do they come to the table with that? They have absolutely zero. That has not been worked out. And then fly that right down to then. Well, whoever is covering it and whoever is covering. So, may, so maybe there actually is. You know, a possibility that. Golf Channel continue to cover PGA Tour and only PGA Tour. Brandle can continue to main his 
maintain his position because he doesn't comment on another side of professional golf. His was a money source issue, though, not a competitive issue. So, so that's the challenge. But then again, if, if Brandel's only opining on what happened on the PGA Tour this week, because that's Golf Channel's focus, because CW Network continued to be the principal broadcaster of... Yep. Maybe that is tenable. It sounds pretty ridiculous, but uh, <laughs> again, we are master speculators. <laughs> That's right. We are nothing but. So here's a. I know nothing about the legal system in North America, or in fact the legal system in Australia, as has been pointed out a number of times. But are you allowed to sell your soul to someone who is going to win a court case just to make it go away? And will the Department of Justice have a say? Well, that has come out in the news today. So the next chapter uh, that hasn't even come to light yet now is that anti-Saudi people who have a voice in Congress are now starting to bring the attention to say, whoa, hang on one second. We might need to have a look at this. So that's another dimension that no one knows. Well, how in the hell will that work out if Congress gets involved and has a right to then look at and continue the antitrust side of things? Because... If you thought there was a strong antitrust argument from Liv against the PGA Tour, now that Liv and the PGA Tour are combined to totally monopolise golf, if Andy Gardner wants to write a business plan and get it up tomorrow and start a case, he's probably going to have a pretty good one. I still love the irony of it being called antitrust, (laughs) given all the things that have gone on. We're nearly in the days of... So this is the opportunity because... Anti-antitrust. Anti-anti or anti-antitrust yeah. because we want to touch on Andy Gardner just quickly before we get on to all the other significant issues that I've got. Um, if there is anti-Saudi sentiment on the PGA Tour and if enough players are thinking, yeah, maybe, and if he's still got the backing and there's enough of them that are good, what would stop Andy saying, still sitting here with a model, Rory? Mm. Yeah, unfortunately. History and heritage? No, unfortunately what Andy ran over a black cat several years ago um, because the top players are going to get the cash. The top players from the PGA Tour, the live guys are already looked after, so they're going to go basically where the structure goes. The Spieth, Thomas, Rory, Morikawa, Ram... There's no doubt they're going to get looked after and squared up here. So without those guys, there is, you know, it's a lovely idea. Let's let's start a rival league to challenge the rival league that just merged with the historic league. (laughs) Because golf needs disruption, John. Yeah, I think it's probably been disrupted enough (laughs) at this point. And remember, it's not golf. Golf hasn't been disrupted. Golf is still fantastic. Yes. Golf is still, as an industry and a sport, probably never seen better times and, you know, was a winner of the COVID lottery. But, you know, this shenanigans going on in professional golf, let's keep it in perspective. It's just a bunch of whole rich kids and their egos and a whole bunch of really rich freaking people 
you know, trying to work out who's got the biggest member at the table because that's all it is. And <laughs> come back to my normal. earlier point, the guy who won, have a guess who won, the guy with the most money. Surprise, surprise. And he'll be a very balanced chairman. Yes, he and Jay looked like they'd known each other for a long time. In fact, in that interview, was kind of... <laughs> so you'd love to be in that boarding, board meeting when the prince says, who's going to take the prince on? And say, oh, I don't think that's a good idea, prince. We're not going to do that. And the prince looks at you. He's got his two henchmen standing behind you. It will, it will be the dictator. Again, it, it, it's Sasha Baron Cohen and the dictator where it's just that look up and that little smiling nod of just – and it, it's all over. Sorry, that, that's flippant because I think there's, there's it's also not flippant. a lot they it's can It's actually do. the reality because he's writing the checks they're going to – what's become clear is the, the PGA Tour have realised they don't have the cash to run this operation to compete. So they've had to merge and who have they merged with? The guy who's got the cash. So anyone who thinks, and listening to some of these numbskulls today talking about this is a huge victory for the PGA Tour, are some of the most naive commercial people because what will make this work is the prince's cash. And the prince's cash will be spent at the discretion of the prince like it can be withheld at the discretion of the prince. So which argument around the boardroom table is going to win? So will Jay, as implied by Kyle Porter or Denial Porter and a number of others, will Jay be the first CEO in history that a chairman reports to the CEO? There's absolutely no chance Because that's how it's that. been painted. I uh, know. It's just absolute nonsense. And, and, and then they can talk about it that, oh, but the PGA Tour will still have a majority of the board. So Terrific. The board can vote against the prince. So the prince says, that's okay. I'm going to divert my money. Like it's better than Coke. This guy is providing the fuel that will keep all these greedy, grubby, little spoiled brats at the top of the PGA Tour and all the guys making their 20, 30, 40, 50 million. Where do you think the where, where's the crack coming from? It's coming from the prince. So the prince will deal crack when and where it suits his purpose. So anyone who wants to it's- anyone who wants to argue against that <laughs> is very naive, in my opinion, from a commercial business perspective. Because twelve months later, something's happened that they said would never wasn't going to happen. And it's only happened because of the cash. So imagine when he's at the table, what's it going to be like? So I'm seeing Jerry and George sitting in the table at the meeting with NBC pitching Seinfeld mm. when, the, when the guy says, I can see Jerry and Elaine getting together. And George says, yeah, no, I don't think so. Or we can not do the show altogether. Yeah, yeah, I think they're a perfect match. I mean, it, it is as straightforward as that, isn't it? Exactly, because... You know, he controls the purse strings because it's yeah. it's just, you know, the, these elevated events, you know, what's become clear is that, well, what, what, you know, you come back to our opening question. What brought the PGA Tour and PIFT together? 
one of them needed to do a deal. And it is implausible to think that the prince needed to do a deal. Now, he might have been slightly, the one argument is that he didn't want to go through the discovery in the antitrust suit. So he might have had some motivation. But in all probability, the greater motivation was the weaker financial partner who was at the risk of great exposure and who was digging into reserves, was running a non-profit that was going to become more and more into question. Who wanted to be at the table, Phil? Yeah. No, I think that's, that's reasonable. So it's time for some genuine speculation, John. Oh, Oh, what we've been talking, um, we've been talking fact. That was all fact up until this point. Um, Liv, here to stay and for how long? It may not be called Liv, but I will back the money every time and the prospect of big money and monetizing professional golf lies in the team's structure. And there's no way that Liv are just going to hand that to the PGA Tour and walk away. Okay. So Liv then, let's say Liv embraced the NBA draft style and all of a sudden the top 48 players, top 72 players in the world are on the table for Liv because that is, it's your time to get paid. Gents. Can Liv continue to operate as Liv but with this injection of eight events that are team events with we have just got the pick of the crop. And Jed Morgan, it's time to become a really good real estate agent. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the reality of it. But, you know, Jed, you've got, you got money you're never going to get. You can't complain. I mean, those bottom guys got a windfall. You know, the only guys that within live who are completely secure are the marquee players that got significant contracts regardless and guaranteed contracts. Now, the other guys were really well rewarded. I mean, I don't think a Jed Morgan can have a possible complaint. Well, it was his choice. He's yeah. earned pretty good coin, and I'm sure if you analyse what he's earned, whether disappointed or not, out of live, I think it would be significantly more what he's earned out of his prior playing career. But, you know, it, it comes back to, I mean, who's to say a new structure doesn't play the PGA Tour from January through to the British Open in a mix of traditional 72 hole and maybe a bit of match play, or, but pretty principally traditional PGA Tour product. The whole tour then moves for the next eight weeks to the team's event played all around the world, featuring the best players from Live and the PGA Tour and you have your live 12 teams because I think you can do 16 teams in the shotgun start. Um, someone mentioned that to me. So the PGA Tour bring in four and they play eight weeks of that. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that break the monotony of... So to hell with the FedEx Cup because the Prince will say, FedEx, it's been nice, but the $200 million you've been putting in, I'm, I'm just... I'm just putting in 400 and thanks. And I'm not saying that's happened. This is this is yeah. crystal ball speculation, but it would be cool. Yeah. And then you have these fantastic eight events around the world of individual and teams competition 
featuring the best from Live and the PGA Tour. And that's what 40 weeks of golf looks like. Professional You've golf. Full Andy Gardner there, John. But he's been right all along. <laughs> yes, I know. This is, this is the point. Um, so the next one, dealing in, in my region, um, and believe it or not, anyone listening in North America, there's an area called Asia and the Asia-Pacific, and we play a bit of golf down here and have known to do a bit of good work in our time. The Asian tour, where does this leave the Asian tour, do you think? None of us know anything. The Asian tour released a statement saying, we welcome the joining and we look forward to seeing how it evolves. But do PIF want to own global golf? Or do they, is PJ Tour and Northern Hemisphere enough for them? I'm not privy to the corporate structure of PIF. However, my understanding is that PIF bought the Asian Tour. PIF owned the Asian oh. Tour. So if you have mm-hmm. Company A that now merges with Company B and C, being the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour, and Company A also owns Company D, being the Asian tour, somehow, some way, that will fall into, and again, would be implausible, or, or again, the prince just says, I'm happy to write off that $200 million or $50 million or whatever we paid for that. I'm happy to write that off. But yep. people don't necessarily, you know, it's unusual for people just to give away money when there's a role and potentially a viable business there. So it's going to fit into the system somewhere. Goodness knows how, but unless, you know, as I said, the prince just wants to write off $2 billion. So therefore, from Australia, the selfish Australia, New Zealand, because I'll include include our Kiwi brothers and sisters, um, do we see more events in the next three years here than we have? Do we see just one big event because obviously the President's Cup's dead. There's speculation. Um, do we see the same number of events or less events? I think it would be unlikely to see more events because your second key stakeholder is Europe, so they're going to get first pick. At how many events are going to be played outside of the US? 10, 12? Well, you know that there's going to be at least four so just divide the number up uh, around the world. So, I mean, I don't think it's implausible that there's two events in Australia just to manage the travel. Yep. But I wouldn't be putting my house on it. And and anyone who thinks that the PGA Tour, I saw Clates put a, a comment on Twitter to somebody today, gave him a bit of a backhander about... You know, don't get too excited about more events in Australia. The PGA Tour aren't coming down here. And he's right because, as I said earlier, the only way the players are going to come down here is if they are forced to. So find a structure that means the players have to play these four majors, 12 legacy events in the US, 16 and eight international rebranded live events there's 24 well that's maxed out the majority of the best players so spread eight events around the world four in uh the european tour leaves four left for south africa asia australia 
I think I'd be betting on Australia keeping one. Sad to say it, and I think I mean, it's what, yeah. terrible and it's sad, but I think that's just the commercial reality of where, again, just follow the money. Corn Ferry Tour co-sanctioned John uh, PGA-type event. But live, so live Adelaide, uh, I suppose everyone's hope, our, our biggest uncertainty, and Norman's declared it safe, that live Adelaide, as long as that goes on, we'll deal with it because we've been treated like crap forever. What does it mean for rollback? The rollback plans, John, because obviously we've skipped a little bit of information over the last 12 months. Um, do you think this strengthens the position to say you can roll back whatever you want? It is a local rule under PIF that we'll do whatever we want. I think this is irrelevant to rollback because I think what will make rollback successful. Rollback's going to happen. The USGA and the governing bodies are committed to doing it, right? And they sit independently of any of this nonsense going on. Hmm. The four majors, so who will decide about rollback will be the Masters, the RNA, the PGA, and the USGA. Yeah, the four families, yeah. They control rollback. Because there is no way in hell players are turning up to the four majors with a ball they've never played before. That's not going to happen. Yep. Okay. Good point. So distill it all down to that, and maybe it all comes down to what Big Fred says. And if Fred says you're going to play the rollback ball if you want to play the Masters, the guy's going to play two events leading up with the the ball to try and get used to it to understand it. It's not easy to switch between. I'll never forget, because we've been through this. So I caddied for this American guy at the 91 Australian Open at Victoria Golf Club, right? His name was Richard Raymond, I think. He was a tool. He didn't pay me in the end. Uh, anyway, so we're on the 16th at Victoria. He's got to finish par, par, par to make the cut. 1,690-yard par three south westerly wind so almost straight into it about 25 mile per hour he's played the big ball all day all day the prior day doesn't think he can get three iron to the green switches to the small ball absolutely hits the most beautiful shot you've ever seen just absolutely flags it and it ends up on the 17th tee (laughs) we did not make the cut it is not that easy to switch between balls and that's an anecdotal okay. story of one, but it's the God's honest truth. It was <laughs> broke my heart to me. It was... I like that. A cutting name drop's pretty good, John. Um, here's a speculator for you. Given that there doesn't seem like there's anything that oil can't buy, and we look at Ronaldo and Benzema in our soccer, Newcastle United, did you see soccer what, or football. Did you see what Messi reportedly has knocked back in the last 24 hours? Yeah. Like 1.6 billion or something he really likes miami what can i say maybe this explains and this is completely irrelevant but maybe it explains the push for renewable energy john because it's about balance of power and so if oil is everything we we cede control well let's go renewable energy let's go back to the actual objective and forget about sports washing. 
nothing to do with sports washing and PR and image because you can't fix someone's image. You can't polish a turd, right? A turd's just going to be a turd. But what you can do is transition your economy over 40 to 50 years from one dependent on oil dollars to creating a tourist destination global travel hub. And that's ultimately, I believe, the prince's and Saudi's goal here, and this is what, and bringing corporate America uh, to the Arabian Peninsula, and because they know oil's screwed long term. So, I, you know, it's been, I think, somewhat superficial to think, you know, the sports washing argument is a very narrow one. I, I think the Saudis are very smart and ultimately realise that we've got to transition our economy and our country and our region to one that people want to come to because we've got nothing else. We can't make shit. We can't. We don't have people to manufacture. So we've got to get entwined into a whole bunch of new revenue streams outside of oil because, I mean, you'd be, you'd be a fool to be betting on oil's long-term sustainability if you take a 50-year view. And remember, John, it's not sports washing, it's sports laundering. We've made that important distinction. Yeah. I think it's just business. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's it's life. So give me some predictions. So so just give me some predictions. How do things look in twelve months time? Tell me what tell me who's running things. What is what's the landscape in twelve months time? All right. Jay's gone. Number one. And new, whoever it is, they just need fresh, just a fresh voice and leadership. Yep. I think Live will be rebranded to something more um, uh, avuncular to the PGA Tour. And what Live will now be will be the team's part of the PGA Tour. So call it what you like, PGA Tour teams, <laughs> because I'm not very smart, and that was the first one that yeah, came that was to a mind. great name, John. <laughs> uh, PGA Tour TT, and there is a part of the schedule carved out for these teams' event because they've proven to be really popular, even in America, like the Zurich, and they're still popular and they're still well watched on TV as a break from the traditional 72 well stroke play individual events. So it would be, I mean, commercial reality ultimately prevails. TV networks want entertaining product. They've got a seat at the table. They'll be pushing for it. Um, Again, I'm biased because I like the idea, but I think that would be, if ultimately it's about creating a better product for 40 weeks of the year, reducing the 72-hole stroke play traditional PGA Tour schedule, building in a live component, the majors. You know, that's, that's a reborn professional golf environment or structure that the three stakeholders have got to work out, well, how do we make that happen? Because that would be pretty cool. Um, or your, we could just next read... We could just read Andy Gardner's business plan and say, let's do that. Yeah. It would be quicker than doing a podcast. Champions Tour. Does anything yeah. happen to it? It stays the same. 
unstructured, restructured. So it will get restructured. You would have to have thought it would get restructured. You, you, you just you can't help but think at some point in time, the you know because it's not a particularly profitable business for the PGA Tour. Uh, it's a legacy. Thank you to their members. It you know how strong. How strong is the commercial push from the controlling body? So let's go back to the corporate structure. The new overriding body, uh, body is a for-profit organisation sitting above the PGA Tour who reports to it. And they're going to be saying, we want cash, we want cash. Hang on, you're spending all this money propping up this tour for these friggin' old buggers that, you know, as a legacy if to your old non-profit structure... We're, we have a responsibility to our shareholders. That's got to go. Now that's that's a, a speculation, but again, follow the money. A for-profit organisation is just not going to allow a subsidiary who happens to be a non-profit organisation to suck their cash drop. I mean, how's that going to run? Makes complete sense, John. So, yeah, makes complete sense, and I think that's the quandary that everyone's got. But you know what? We're we're thirty six hours into a the new world of professional golf, not golf. To your point, a number of times, we're in a new world in professional golf, um, and, I, and I think that, that and I think be, it's just going to be fascinating to see what happens. It will be, and I think it'd be terribly sad if the Champions Tour either went away or got really significantly downsized. Um, you know, I think that would be sad, but equally, I mean, it's the commercial. You can't be half pregnant. You can't say we re- we want to monetize professional golf. We want to maximize the return for our players, for our corporate partners. Oh yeah, but we also we just want to do this little non-profitable shit on the side. It's not doesn't it's not how the world works. So I think it would be difficult looking to the medium three to five years that the Champions Tour or any non-profitable pathway to the PGA Tour uh, continues to receive financial or extensive financial support from a for-profit organisation. So what you're saying is it's about time these non-profits started making profit and earning their keep, which I think is a fantastic way, John, to close a, a podcast that was speculative, that's been 11 months in the making. Uh, and, John, I appreciate you joining us, John Craig from Tour Edge Golf, and I hope business is well. I didn't even bother you to ask you about Tour Edge. Well, um, to all your listeners for us again. down there, some fantastic new product. You just pop down to Drummond Golf, and uh, I'm sure they'll look after you. But, no, Phil, it's been way too long. Uh, we, we keep saying it that we've got to do it more regularly and time and life gets in the way, but... Uh, it's always fun. It's lovely to chat. We appreciate anyone out there who's willing to listen to our speculations. We hope it was in some way entertaining and, uh, yeah, it's great to have the chance to have a chat. And in the interest of self-promotion, you can now catch uh, Golf Barons Seasons 1 through 4 on 9 now in Australia, free to air, and coming soon to golfnation.com in North America with a big announcement ahead of us. Uh, But until next time, Barons, to quote Life of Brian, Always look on the bright side of life.